Morning Liberty. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another show, another episode of Good Morning Liberty. It's just, it's a fantastic day. And before we get started, I just want to say one thing. Epstein didn't kill himself. (laughs) And it is a, it's just a good morning liberty here today. We have been transitioning to this new studio. Is that right, Nate? That, if that's what you want to call it, that's what we've been doing. And yeah. as any transition <laughs> that, it's, it's that terrible. people would know out there, you know, anytime you transition to something else, <laughs> it's very difficult, you know? <laughs> There's people out there that know that better than we do. Luckily, we identify as a studio that sounds good right now, so <laughs> yes. no problem at all. <laughs> so each day is a new set of growing pains, but you know what? We're all that we're all the much better for it. I have Can been... you say that? You're all the much better for it. Sure, is sure. That, no, that's. I don't think that's proper. Is that comprehensible? We'll have to. <laughs> we'll have to call my mom on that one. Um, so we. Ha- I've been banging my head up against the wall all day in here. Luckily, we just installed all this really sound, this soft soundproofing all over the walls, so right. it wasn't that bad. But man, <laughs> for the head banging, trying it, something as simple as trying to record the audio from your system and put it in to Apple Logic Pro and then send it back out to the soundboard and make it to where you can hear it and you can record it. That's not as easy as it sounds. Let me tell you what. It's not. You know what is easy is if you had the audio interface that could accept the sound that goes back and forth. But unfortunately, uh, from what we understand... Epstein fried it. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Somehow. He did. And actually, I lost uh, I lost our other audio interface in that same tragic bass fishing accident where I where I lost uh where you lost your AR15. Oh. It's it's gone. In it's the just, same spot. The same spot. It was in the same gun safe and uh, it's gone now. Okay. So anyway, uh let's let's get on to the show. <clears throat> well, we quick. don't have very much time today. We That's don't. the thing. We have uh some business calls coming up that we have to take, unfortunately, but we want to get this out to you, and before we run through the news here, what what are we calling this section? It's the headlines. I just call it the news. The news. Yeah, that's that's my news intro. I like that. Um, we forgot to mention that you need to subscribe to the podcast. Yeah, so we're not going to go through the whole sip and scan code, sip and scan code, and all of that. But there is a purple button on your on your podcasting app, your Apple Podcast app, or green button that says follow on Spotify, whatever podcast app you use, hit subscribe, hit follow our show, this wonderful, beautiful show that's in transition right now. Don't be transphobic. <laughs> We're transitioning to an even better podcast. <laughs> that it will come directly to your phone and it'll just keep getting better and better as it transitions. We're gonna augment yeah. This podcast. I hope it will. So I hope it it's will. It's a studio augmentation. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> make sure you subscribe so you can get our episodes directly to your phone every single day. We release a new episode every single day. And without further ado, let's run through some news. Okay. So this is from Yahoo Finance. Not exactly a right wing publication. I don't know if you ever read anything on there. Not the chocolate drink. Yahoo. No. No. This is a news publication. No, the website, Yahoo. Yes. Um, so. This says, here's the headline, the stock market could be halved if Elizabeth Warren becomes president. Hmm. Okay. So this is from, uh, let's see, they're talking about Anthony Scaramucci, who was in the Trump White House at one point in time. He left due to some differences. But anyway, Skybridge Capital founder Anthony Scaramucci became the latest top Wall Street name on Monday to issue a dire warning on the markets should Warren ascend to the White House. And this is him saying, well, I think she would have the markets. That's have, not like she would possess it, but cut it in half. 
Uh, let's see. That's what Scaramucci <laughs> said on Yahoo Finance is on the move. Uh, just don't go by me. Go by Lee Cooperman and Paul Tudor Jones. The reason why the market is up because we had a 35% corporate tax go down to 21% and propelled about 45 to 50% move in the markets. She, Warren, is talking about reversing all of that and then a wealth tax. Okay, so this is something, by the way, we've already mentioned before, and that's why I wanted to go ahead and mention it again. I've written several articles on GoodMorningLiberty.us talking about what will happen to the stock market if some of these plans are actually put in place. And it's not going to be good. She's got a, a lot of different taxes. And Bernie Sanders, you know, the same thing, as well as a lot of the other Democratic candidates. But she's got a tax on individual stock trades. She's got a new uh, net investment tax, which is on top of the capital, ga capital gains tax, and then a wealth tax on top of that. So, I mean, common sense logic would tell you at that point in time that the people who make investments and the people who have the wealth are going to be withdrawing their money from the stock market, or there will be less investment overall. You know, what you tax, you get less of, generally. So we're taxing investments, and you're going to get less of those. And then on top of that, you're going to put a tax every single for every single stock trade. And what that's going to do is everyone who's investing in the stock market, which we always mention, uh, it's not just these rich, evil people that are investing in the stock market. It's probably you in some kind of a way, or your wife or your husband or your mom, or someone has a 401k, a pension plan, invested in some kind of a mutual fund, something like that, and they've got money in the stock market. And when we start taxing every single trade, well, what's going to happen from that is there's going to be less trades or there's going to be higher commissions on that overall. And uh, these people with all the wealth and all the investments are going to be finding other ways to make some of their money. Even so. you as a greedy business owner have... You're I, invested in the stock I, market. I am. Yeah. That's something yeah. I do every single day when I show up here at the studio. I get on uh, something called Trade Ideas, and I, I look up all of the stocks that are moving the most for the morning, and I lay out some trades, and that's just something that I do every single day. And a new tax on every single trade is very much going to hurt the stock market, as well as a net investment tax, because you you pay these taxes when you make money in the market. And people don't realize that that's all, it's all priced into the investments that people make. You know, when, the, when a stock goes up and you think that you made a few percent on it, well, you've also got to calculate the fact that you're going to have to pay a tax out of that. So it's just not a good idea to tax investment. Investment's very important for an economy. Uh, maybe, the, maybe the people on the left don't think that it's very important. But overall, generally, taxing investments, just, just not a great idea. Not a great idea. And what happened last time the stock market went down, if it went in half, by the way? Yeah. If you remember our last recession, or the Great Recession, 2008, 2009, I think there was somewhere around at least 2.6 million jobs lost in 2008 and 2.6 million roughly jobs lost in 2009. Well, so, and you know, there's no reason to worry about that because you're going to have a universal jobs guarantee and the government's going to guarantee your retirement anyway, so nothing to worry about, right? Well, no what problem. happens if they run out of tax money? Because I, I don't know. <laughs> people people aren't paying taxes anymore. Businesses aren't paying taxes anymore because they close. Like this is this is a wreck on the economy. We shouldn't be running experiments. It's 
it, that has the implication of wrecking an entire economy. The entire idea of this wealth tax is just insane anyway. If you if you just think about it, remove all emotions from the subject, okay? Facts don't care about your feelings. Just remove all those emotions from that. And then you just think about the fact that you're taking a set percentage of someone's wealth every single year. And Bernie himself even said that it was going to reduce the wealthy's wealth by 50%. And I don't know, what do you say? 30 years, 15 years, something like that. We'll play that out over a longer time frame. How much longer does it have to go before that wealth isn't there anymore? And then you've built an entire system that's based off of living off of other people's money and you've depleted all of their money. It's just, how is this any type of a good long-term system? This is exactly what brought about Venezuela's demise. It is. You know, I'm going to I released this thing on Instagram earlier and then I was so busy messing with the soundboard earlier I forgot to put it on Facebook, but I've been comparing the plans of Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, and then I was comparing them with the Scandinavian countries, which is what they want you to think about when they tell you their plans. And then I've been comparing them with Venezuela's economic policies. And the problem is these people on the left are selling you the image of the Scandinavian countries but they are wanting to institute the economic policies of Venezuela, not the Scandinavian countries, because they have very low corporate taxes. They don't have a wealth tax. There's no minimum wage. There's no minimum wage. They don't tax stock trades. And they're able to be very, very capitalist. And then they can have this big welfare state uh, on top of that. But that's not what Sanders and Warren are wanting to do. They're wanting to institute similar to what Venezuela does, which is really high corporate taxes, taxes on stock trades, really high capital gains taxes. And then they're telling you that it's going to have the outcome of Denmark, who doesn't do that right? What's whatsoever. Well, and you know, how long has Denmark been running these experiments anyway? You know what I mean? Like they, at a time Sweden was socialist in the seventies and then they had to go back to capitalistic ways so that they could grow their economy. Yeah. And if you look at the history of GDP growth, based on countries when they become more centralized versus less centralized, every time they've become more centralized, the GDP growth goes down. Every yeah. time they become more individualized and freer, the GDP growth goes up. And yeah. what I mean by this is an example of what happened in Venezuela is the government took over the oil industry, which was a massive part of their economy, and they used a lot of that oil money to fund their social welfare state like free college and free health care in Venezuela. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you want to go down there and get any free health care from Venezuela. No, I'm not. By the way, Cuba has free health care, too. So if you if you want to be a citizen somewhere where there's free health care, there's plenty of places to go. Yeah. Yeah. You've been to Cuba before. I've been to Cuba. How'd, how'd it look overall? It nostalgic. Yeah. Would <laughs> be a word. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. That's it was, good. It was pretty. I mean, you know, you're in the the outskirts of the Caribbean Gulf, you know, and so it's pretty waters and things like that. That's pretty beach there in Havana, Havana, <laughs> Havana, Havana. Yeah. So don't but, let, don't let them tell you it's going to be Denmark. Okay. Unless they want to push for Denmark's policies, which is no minimum wage, really low corporate taxes, really low capital gains tax, all that stuff. That's not what they're doing well, they're, and, at all. And I wanted to, I wanted to finish that Venezuela thought real quick, which is what happened when the state took over the oil production and then oil prices went down and they weren't able to fund all the programs that they had promised, what did they have to do? They had to borrow money. Well, what did that do? That caused inflation. Yeah. So Venezuela is in the crisis it's in, not because of corruption, which there is corruption, 
But that corruption was laid out through socialist policies, which ultimately led to not being able to afford the bills that they promised everybody, which ultimately led to inflation, which ultimately leads to starvation yeah. and people dying and riots and eating dogs and those kinds of things. And so it's like, if you want to see this trend play out, it's happened so many times. We don't have to run the experiment in America. We just don't have to do it. It's already been done. You're just you're talking about Venezuela here, Charlie, and they're instituting Scandinavian style socialism, though. So I don't I don't even know why you're mentioning Venezuela at all. It just doesn't yeah, make any know. sense. Yeah. I must be a boomer. Yeah. <laughs> That's always funny. We got someone posted boomer again on something yeah. that one of something that Charlie was saying. And now evidently, if you make some type of a fiscal fiscally conservative argument, then the biggest put down that they can throw at you now is boomer. This Wh- is a thing. Which by the way, is that not ageism? Is that not an ism? Sounds like it would be. It's like you're you're making you're just saying, oh, you're just some some old baby boomer is what you are. It's really funny because if if the person ever listened to the podcast or looked at our videos on our page, we are obviously not in our fifties or sixties. That, that that's not the case. We're we're in our thirties. So Even close though. Yeah. In case you can't tell from my voice, I'm older than Charlie. By the way, I just have <laughs> a. Uh, I just have a little high school boy voice still. Nothing I can do about it. I'm down here in the man range. Yeah, I'm not. I'm just not. All right, on to the next one. Before I start with that, I want to let you know Epstein didn't kill himself. All right, the pros and cons of growing trend in women-owned businesses. This is coming out of Market Watch. Uh, so for the first time, the annual American Express AXP Plus. It just it it's Market Watch, so it tells you what they're stock ticker and how much their stocks up for the day gotcha yeah so the so the annual see i'm not that great at the stock market this is why <laughs> i need you this is why we're business partners yeah so you uh, complete american me. express is up uh 0.36 percentage points and that's for the first time <laughs> uh report on women-owned businesses in america looked at side sidepreneurs instead of entrepreneurs sidepreneurs which are part-time entrepreneurs who work fewer than 20 hours a week on their businesses. What it found was pretty stunning. The 2019 State of Women-Owned Business Report said that the growth rate of sidepreneurship for women between 2014 and 2019 has been far greater than for all women-owned businesses, 39% versus 21%. It's also been stronger than for all adult sidepreneurs. It's sidepreneur. Sidepreneur. Yeah. Which is at 32%. And it was twice as high for minority women-owned businesses than all sidepreneur businesses. By far the highest growth rate in the number of sidepreneur ventures has been among African-American women. Triple that for all businesses. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So the 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 kind of big part of this that this article is talking about is that uh, women, for the first time ever, are really moving into owning their own businesses at a at a higher rate than men are actually, and especially for they're saying uh, African American, you know, uh, minority owned businesses have have doubled that of rate of just the you know women overall. So it's it's been a really good thing, but the, there's something pretty important in this. We're talking about sidepreneurs. Now, you know, these are the people that have, they got a job, but then they started their own business. Maybe they're selling stuff on Etsy or maybe they're selling products for some, from some, you know, MLM company. So, you know, they're doing some kind of side business and trying to earn extra income. 
So it brings in this really important point. And uh, this uh, this researcher, uh, her last name is uh, Edelson, uh, Kim- Kimberly Edelson, says that what likely attracts women to these sidepreneur opportunities is their lack of risk. And then what's really crazy is when they bring all this together, they don't want to frame it as a good thing. So this whole article, by the way, is talking about how women are moving more into owning their own businesses overall, actually like double the rate of men currently. And then, of course, they have to list out that it's not because they want to own businesses. It's because they're not making enough money at their jobs and they're trying to start their own businesses so they can earn a livable wage. Oh, God. Yeah. So that's where the article actually goes. Oh. Yeah. Um, What's this out of? Uh, this is from Market Watch. Oh, Jesus. No wonder I didn't read it. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I wanted, the article was titled The Pros and Cons of a Growing Trend in Women-Owned Business. So I was like, what are they saying as the con of, a, of women owning their own businesses? And the con is that they're not doing it because they want to. They're doing it because they don't get paid a fair wage. So they have to start their own side business so they can earn a livable wage. This is ridiculous. I know. <laughs> <laughs> That's absolutely erroneous. I think advances in, in technology have, have allowed this to happen. Yeah. You, yeah. Know, you think about it, it started with the birth control pill, which is which was a revolution for women to be able to control their their periods and their reproductive, you know, system. And then from there through I know I, there's many women who are starting podcasts, many women who are doing their own blogs and like they're, uh, they sell like clothes on their Instagrams and things like that, which are their own side hustles, which end up becoming for some women, their main source of income. And I think that's absolutely amazing that they've been able to, to use these, what would these technological revolutions to be able to do things for themselves. I think that's absolutely amazing. And I think what's really cool about being able to start your own side business now and, and earn extra money is you know, there's a there's a difference between women and men. Overall, I'm not saying for every single woman and for every single man. But what I'm saying is statistically, see if you agree with me here, women are more risk adverse than, than men are. Yes. They generally are less willing to take a big risk on something. And so this, this ease of creating your own side business while you're still able to work at your other job has made it toward that you don't have to make the decision of I'm going to quit my job and take out a big loan and start my own business and if it fails I'm going to live in a cardboard box somewhere like that you know that used to be what you had to do but now it's like oh I can start a website I can start an Etsy store I can sell some of the stuff using social media things like that and and I can still have my job and so the ease of being able to start your own business has led to women starting a lot more businesses, even more so than men have been. The sidepreneur gig. The sidepreneur gig. And it just kind of, you know, it made me think about, and we don't have to go full into this, but the whole fact that that women are generally less risk-averse than men are, it can explain one portion of why it ends up being men who are CEOs of big companies, men who are earning higher incomes, men, men who have higher level jobs. And a lot of times it's because men are more likely to risk everything to take out a massive loan and start their own business. Or this this isn't just our opinion, by the way. No, it's not just an opinion. This is from the article. What likely attracts women to these side sidepreneur opportunities is their lack of risk. Edelston told me research repeatedly shows that women have a lower tolerance for risk than men. And when deciding to become entrepreneurs are strongly motivated by autonomy and flexibility. 
Yeah. So this is research. It's data. It just made me think of, and I'm not saying this is overall a good thing, but you know, I differ a lot from my wife as far as risk goes. And Charlie, you can probably say the same thing, obviously, because you own your own business too. I've just always had the mentality that uh, I'll take out, and I've done it before, by the way, I'll just take out tens of thousands of dollars in loans and put it towards a certain thing. And if it fails, I mean, my credit rating is going to tank or whatever, and and I'm going to be struggling for a while. But hey, at least I tried. And if I have a terrible credit rating and everything fails and I hate my life, yeah, you know, at least I took the risk and at least I tried to do it. And overall, I would say there, there are less women that have that type of mentality about taking out debt and about putting, you know, really throwing yourself out there into this big business venture uh, when maybe you're not going to have any type of health insurance or, or you're not going to have uh, for sure income every single year. And it's just a difference in personalities. And like I said, I'm not saying I'm not saying that it's a good or bad thing overall because a lot of men end up failing and uh, most of the people who are homeless and everything on the streets are men and and uh you know it ends up not going very well for a lot of people and women have better credit ratings and they have more stable incomes and you know uh, so they may actually just be smarter (laughs) yeah maybe maybe they have it right right maybe they do maybe they're like uh well we can still accomplish all this if we just play the long game and we're yeah. You know, we don't put ourselves in a bind like, well, I mean, like I, men do. And I, you know, obviously I'm not trying to say anything negative about my wife because if it wasn't for her going and getting a college degree and getting a really stable job, then at the times when I started the business and then it failed and I started the business and then it failed and I started the business and, and kept trying until I got something that was actually working. She always had that stable job for us to be able to have health insurance, for us to be able to have a consistent salary coming in while I was just, you know, throwing everything out there, didn't care whether or not it failed. And you didn't end up homeless. I didn't. And I didn't end up homeless. So like they always. Which is a good partnership. Yeah, it it is. Yeah. And like they always say, I don't know the complete same, but behind every successful man is the woman who got him there yeah. basically you know because i i wouldn't have been able to do all of that now maybe i just would have lived on the street somewhere while i was trying to make my band famous and and all of that um well, but I, I don't know van. we did we <laughs> we were even in separate separate bands and i i legitimately have slept on the floor of a van for months and months at a time you know when you're a broke musician there's not much in life that you need no you can scale back your necessities, no, all the way to the bare, the bare brim. You don't need you don't need a shower. You don't need clean clothes. Mm-mm. You don't need anything more than a few packs of ramen. Uh, that's really all all it really all that really matters. And when I, it comes time to buy food or guitar strings, you get the guitar strings. You get the strings. Yeah, it's an yes. investment in yes. future food. Yes, is what that it's a is. Sacrifice. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I just, you know, it's a good thing that, that more and more women, obviously really high rate, are jumping into these sidepreneurs and hopefully those businesses take off and they can quit their jobs and make a bunch of money. It just really sucks that that has to be tainted by the attitude in this article that they're only doing it because they don't get paid a fair wage and they need to find a way to make extra income. So there they are talking negatively about people who are putting some risk out there and trying to make more money. You just got to tear them down. Say, oh, no, this is not a good thing. It's not because women are are, are jumping into this to try and make a you know a bunch be- of money. No. It's not because they're innovative <clears throat> or creative no, or no, any it's, of that. It's, it's only because, because they, yeah. they're forced into it by their their 
inequitable low wages. Exactly. That's so ridiculous. It is. It is. It's absolutely ridiculous. Now, look, <clears throat> you could say that men make more than women and is like an overarching thing. And that's not necessarily untrue. But what's untrue about it is the fact that you have to look at there's multiple factors of why. And I think, you know, women are less, they're more risk adverse, as you said, I think because of the personality of their women tend to be more agreeable. So because of that agreeableness, which has to do, um, which has to do with having a stable family, like women, women tend to like to nest, you know, they, they want certain things in order. They want that, that security, that peace, that whatever, um, which some men do too, but overall it's more women that have that trait of agreeableness. I think this leads to them doing the safer sidepreneur gig, but then once that becomes successful, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And then there's many successful women that have done un- incredible things. Like, um, one thing I find fascinating is the, the lady who created Spanx. <laughs> No, seriously, because it's still it's still a private company. It's like one of the largest private companies. It's a billion dollar company, and she's <clears> never <throat> taken it public. And I just think that's absolutely amazing. Yeah, that and she's that she's created that. Like women are, they have, and the other thing I would say is they've learned to take some of their interest and monetize them. Yeah, like you know, when the internet came around, there was blogging and things like that. But now all of a sudden with Instagram and social media, and you see all of these influencers out there that have learned that they could, you know, try on clothes and sell clothes for other people. There's many women out there that do that. They get a hundred, 200, 300,000 followers, and they're making enough money to support a family off of that. Now they te- they, they get do, to do what they love. <clears throat> they make That's a living just doing those, uh, trying out makeup and stuff like oh hey uh, this is how this makeup goes on this is what it li- what it looks like yes i'll get my uh, ipsy bag every single you know every month and just show you all the stuff that's in it and and then all those companies are paying them for advertising basically yes. or they've got affiliate links for selling all those products on their website it's really cool today you know it's so easy today to start your own business it's it's very very easy yes and i it's just we should look at it as a good thing that more women are starting their own businesses. Why, sh- why taint this with some kind of negative spin? This you is, know, this is an amazing thing. Yeah, it is. You know what else is amazing? What's that? Apple. Apple is amazing because they have announced that they are going to pledge $2.5 billion for housing in California. And that's, that, that's, that's really incredible. cool. So uh, this article from Wall Street Journal, uh, Silicon Valley wants to solve California's housing crunch. Apple pledged Monday to put $2.5 billion toward addressing the availability and affordability crisis. The effort will include mortgage assistance for new home buyers, and Apple will make available for housing development about $300 million of land it owns in San Jose. With Apple's $2.5 billion pledge on Monday, four of the most prominent U.S. technology companies have now committed a total of $5 billion to help solve the West Coast severe housing shortage. Okay? So, of course, we need to talk about how negative this can be. That's what we need to do, because this is the Wall Street Journal, and now we need to see why it's a bad thing. We can't just just allow capitalism to be shed in the wonderful light that it should be shed in nope nope we have to taint it with darkness let's talk about how bad this is for our economy it's further capitulation of the public sector to the private sector said matthew gordon lasner an associate professor of urban studies at 
and planning at Hunter College in New York. These sorts of commitments are a lot easier than raising taxes, he added, and serve as good public relations at a touchy moment for these guys. So, of course, he's saying that um, public relations are really bad for the big tech companies. They're worried about their taxes going up. They're worried about a lot of regulation coming in from the government. And the only reason they're really doing this is to make themselves look better and to kind of garner some favor with the government for coming in and helping people out with housing. You know, just trying to, to look as good as possible. And the thing I have to say about that is good, good. That's the good part. Yeah. Once again, that's the good part about capitalism. Who cares what their motivation is? It doesn't matter what their motivation is. Their motivation is self-interest to make their own company look better. And how are they going to do that? They're going to do that by helping consumers. That's how they're going to do it. And as a result, the, the homelessness problem, let's say, the housing shortage in California can be solved regardless of motivation. Yeah. So what do they really want? You know, what, what is this guy, what is this professor actually after? He wants the he government wants to, to be able to tax them and spend their yeah, money. He wants to be able to steal it rather than them freely giving it away to charity. Yeah. You know, the good now, part. In what world does that make sense? I just don't get it. They're already giving it away and helping people. Yes. Like, why are you upset that it wasn't the government taking it from them and allocating the money? Right. Like, you know why he's upset is because Apple's going to make a ridiculous amount of money financing all of this housing. And it's, it's amazing to me. They've become so big that they're literally becoming a bank now. They've got their own credit card out there. I saw there's billions and billions of credit in credit taken out since they released their, their uh, Apple card. Facebook starting their own currency yeah. with Libra. And it's, these companies are be, becoming banks for the people. And what's amazing about it is, you know, when the government's financing housing or they're putting money available for housing, um, they get to continue taking out debt and inflating the currency and using fake money to do it or stealing money from other sectors of the economy that maybe didn't need to be stolen. And then they end up inflating the housing. What Apple's doing is they're using actual value that they've created and they're going to loan it out and they need to get that money back because they can't just print their own money. The, the only way they can have more money is by creating more value. You know what's amazing? What's that? Apple has $245 billion of cash on hand. That is really good. <laughs> yeah. What do you think the government has? About $50 billion probably? No. It's probably more than most banks. Yeah. That they actually have, like they physically have. They're going to start, uh, they're going to get into the, uh, the, the repo LIBOR market and start loaning money to banks overnight. <laughs> I mean, honestly, at... at <laughs> You know, if they do the fractional reserve banking and they only need 10%, they could end up loaning out 2.45 trillion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's say I'm going to go through this article a little bit more. This is from Tim Cook. Um, he said, before the world knew the name Silicon Valley and long before we carry technology in our pockets, Apple called this region home. CEO Tim Cook said in a statement Monday, we feel a proud civic responsibility to ensure it remains a vibrant place where people can live, have a family and contribute to the community. That's, that's beautiful. That's so that it's so good. So this says that uh, California alone failed to produce 3.4 million houses. That's their shortage, by the way, that it needed to keep up with demand from 2000 to 2015. It was 3.4 million houses short. According to an analysis from Up for Growth, a research and advocacy organization that promotes more development, 
Um, so this also says the tech companies are still working out many of the details of their pledges. Some of their early investments range from low-cost loans to nonprofits to partnerships with new or existing government entities. Apple said Monday that its commitment includes $1 billion toward a state affordable housing investment fund to finance the construction of new housing and another $1 billion to help first-time home buyers with financing and down payments. So it's actually given a billion to the state. Yeah. Yeah. But the good part about this is that it's their money that they've made from providing value to others. And so I don't find anything wrong with them doing whatever they want with the money. If they want to provide housing to people who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford the housing, well, at least it was with money that has value behind it. You know, right. it's not from fake money. It's not from debt. It's it's from actual value from other people. This is the part of their profits that Sanders and Warren want to take and give to people, only they're going to filter it through a massive, inefficient government bureaucracy who doesn't care about the money. Who takes like 60% yeah. administrative costs. So now it can at least come from Apple, the company who actually has the money, directly going for housing to the people in the area. It's going to like be much you, more efficient. Like you said, instead of companies you know, putting on eight roofs to basically launder money and get more money out of the government yeah. because they can, it'll actually be private companies that know how to budget, know how to spend money, know how to, how to actually run projects. And do all of those things. It'll be actually, it's going to be way more efficient. Those dollars will stretch a lot further. Yeah. Have you ever tried to stretch a dollar? It doesn't stretch very well. No. 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 It ends up ripping. Yeah. But these companies, they stretch those things. <laughs> they must have dollar stretching machines. They, that's amazing that they were able yeah. that, man, 2019, welcome to the new age, <laughs> dollar stretching need technology. To, need to find one of those. It's pretty good. Um, so, you know, one thing we should say about California's housing situation is, what do you think it is that led to a housing shortage and housing being too expensive for anyone to be able to afford? Ooh, I know. What is it? Price control. Price control. Yep. Yep. They've got some of the harshest. Now, why is now why is price control not fair? I mean, isn't that fair that you should you shouldn't have to pay any more than anyone else? I mean, this is what always happens. Now, while you might be able to make a an effective emotional argument for price control. You might be able to make that argument. But what actually ends up happening is when you control the price that someone can charge for something, less people who are making investments will decide to invest their money into providing whatever that resource is. Doesn't matter if it's housing, doesn't matter if it's gas, doesn't matter if it's water, doesn't matter if it's medical care. Once you decide that you're going to restrict the price that people can charge for it, less people will get into providing that service. That is what has always happened, regardless of how many times the government had decided that they can control prices. It doesn't work. Just ask the people in Venezuela. It does not work. The prices are controlled on everything. And what happened was the producers left. That's just what happened. Mm -hmm. Now, maybe you can say that they're evil, and maybe you can make that and have some utility behind it, but it doesn't change the fact of the matter. It doesn't matter what emotional argument you put behind it. You know, This is what actually happens. And so in California, it's too expensive to, to build, to, uh, to rent. You've got rent controls. You've got a certain thing that you have to provide to everyone. Maybe it's a certain type of insulation you've got to use for environmental laws. You've got to uh, have everything updated, energy efficient, you know, all kinds of different 
amenities. And companies are like, well, that's too expensive. Yeah. And I'll go build in the other 49 states. And by the way, housing in California should be more expensive. Just so, you know, let's just say there is some market pricing involved in that too. Look at California. It's beautiful. It's really beautiful. Most of it. Uh, yes. It's got beaches all along. It's got amazing landscapes everywhere. Redwood it's, trees. Yeah, it's in a great climate. They've got your they've got some of your upper northwest kind of landscape. They've got some of your really pretty southwest desert landscape and they've got beautiful perfect kind of beach landscape also. And they're also built on like the biggest fault line in the entire world, um, which which uh, also would make it more dangerous to build there, which also makes everything more expensive to build. Mm-hmm. So, and I know they're not actually on the biggest fault line in the entire world, but that's you know they're on a big one. They're a, it's a it's pretty big. It's named even. What's the, it named? The you think? San Andreas. San Andreas. Yeah. Yes. What what's the one that we're on here? New Madrid. New Madrid. I think that might actually be one of the biggest ones. It's said. bigger than the one in California. Yeah. But we just have less earthquakes. Yeah. But they're more active over there. Yes. And so things are things cost more. It costs more yeah. to build there. Imagine if your house shook all the time. Yeah. What do you think would happen? You think you'd have cracks in your walls? And so what they've done is. They, it's, we're going to see the same thing in medical care too, by the way. You create a price floor where you set basically a, a minimum limit that everything's going to cost to build and you make it really expensive for the builders. And then you also set a price maximum for what they can charge for it. So you keep narrowing and narrowing any kind of profit margin in there, any kind of room to recoup your money. They make it harder and harder as they bring up the bottom level and they squeeze down the top level. And when you do that, which we'll see in medical care also, things get really expensive or people stop putting their money into that for for investments. And everyone becomes equally poor. Yep. Maybe and that's what we're after. And then we finally achieve equality. Equality of, of, of the poor. You know, Ethiopia's got about the most equality of any country in the entire world. It, if you want to go live somewhere where everyone is equal, uh, Ethiopia is your place, for sure. Where everyone's equally thirsty. It's, yeah, it's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> Complete equality. Except for the government officials. The government officials and their runners. Yep. The people who get to make it to the Olympics. Like I said, I've been to I've been to Africa before and the people were starving. They didn't have things to drink. They were living in little huts that were built out of sticks and cardboard and sheets. And the people in the government lived in massive palaces and gigantic mansions and had really nice restaurants because we got to go eat at them. And the people in the country were starving. So there's still inequality. It's still there. Yes. But all the citizens are equal. Very yeah. equal. So Just anyway. not the elite. Yeah. Like uh, like Orwell said, all animals are equal, but some animals are more equal than others. More equal than others. Yep. Kind of like Chavez's daughter is worth $40 billion Yep. Yep. Somehow. Yep. By Have the you, way, learn that in Rand Paul's new book, The Case Against Socialism. It's a good book. It's a great book. Yeah. I really like it. I go pick it up. It's the best book. I went about three quarters of the way through it, and it's got a lot of information in it. So I actually restarted it and started listening to it again. So you can retain it. So you can retain it. It's mm-hmm. one thing you learn from learning how to play music is that you don't learn just all the way through the song all the way. You need to re- you need to learn sections at a time. Repetition. And then you need to learn how to put all those sections together. So I listened to a few chapters. I go back and listen to a few chapters again. And basically, by the time I can recite what's about to be said, then I move on to the next chapter. And that, that's how, that's what I did with basic economics also. That's how I watch movies. Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> no. That would be a terrible way to watch no, movies. That's not how. I like watch you, movies. that's how. No. Is that how you binge TV shows? You yes. just watch the same episode <laughs> over and over again. <laughs> I'm on season one, episode eight of Game of Thrones right now. You've been on it for yeah. years. Let me tell you, it's incredible. <laughs> People are talking about it ended. I'm like, what? It hasn't ended for me. It's a good episode, but it's got a lot of information in it. So Yeah, there's a lot to unpack. I'm trying to figure out what's going on at the metaphysical level there. Yeah. Anyway, we're running out of time, but before we get there, let's go over this last one on the news, which is amid Medicare for All coming from Fox News, uh, amid Medicare for All debate in U.S., Britain sounds alarm over historic waiting lists. Now, of course, when we talk about waiting lists and the quality of care going down, we're just a bunch of fear mongers. Oh, yeah. That's not actually happening. Well, it's just out of greed and we're just trying to manipulate people. Yeah. But actually it is happening because according to this from a journalist at Fox News, as Medicare for All dominates the debate in America's Democratic presidential primary, a new report released by the British government on its NHS, National Health Service, offers a warning on the downsides of a single payer system. The report on the government-run NHS system in England released last month details increased wait times for services ranging from emergency room visits to cancer care. And the study reports historic waiting lists totaling over 4.5 million people, up 40% in five years for treatment with specialists. And Epstein didn't kill himself. Cancer waiting times are the worst on record. The report also declares... The NHS has long been hailed as a, as a successful example of government-run health care by a range of Democrats and left-wing activists. The single-payer health care plans, boosted by top Democratic 2020 contenders Bernie Always Lies Sanders and Elizabeth Chief Warren, have captured attention in recent days after Warren released her long-awaited plan last week. So what they're saying is Medicare for All will suck. And we've been saying that for a long time. I don't care who you are, where you're from, where you're going. Don't trust the government with your health care. Just don't do it. And this, don't do it. This is from a co- countries, by the way, who are managing this on a much smaller level. They've only they've got in the single digits of millions of people in their countries, and they're still having these crazy waiting lists from this government-funded healthcare system. Can you imagine when these types of systems are ballooned up to a country that's got 330 million people in it? You can't even use Canada as an example. They've got the population of California. Okay, Uh, you just can't compare them. And it does matter how long the waits are, by the way. When you've got something that is potentially life-threatening, it matters how long you have to wait to get to a specialist. You know, we did a story uh, last week or a couple weeks ago that the the rate of people dying from their from appendicitis is double in in Europe than what it is here because that's a time sensitive issue. Like when you go in with that, when your stomach is hurting so bad that you're on the floor crying, like I was in January this year. Uh, you need and to, you didn't have gas pains. It was not gas. Yeah. I I assumed it was, and let me tell you, all the Beano in the world was not not going to fix my appendix. No, whatsoever. And so I finally went in, and I was in surgery within a couple hours. And the problem is in Europe because they're so understaffed, they're they're so overtaken by so many people using the healthcare system. They're giving people meds and telling them to come back a little bit later, and you know, or they're just not getting seen. They're having to wait to actually go to people. 
And with your appendix, you know, this is just a simple example, that can kill you. It's, yeah. it's, it's important. You can go septic. You can, it will burst. All of your terrible, terrible stuff inside will leak into your body, and you will become septic, and you yeah. can die from it. And so it's very time-sensitive. A lot of illnesses are time-sensitive, by the way. And, and doctors are in these countries are leaving in droves. Yeah. They're retiring. They're closing shop early, even though they might, may not have done that. Yeah, and there's still private health insurance in England and in Canada and stuff like that. But for the for the vast majority of people, it's just becoming it's become worse and worse. Now, look, we've said multiple times that there is a massive healthcare problem, and I got into a really good debate with a huge Warren fan. I mean, this guy, his profile picture was him and, and Warren, and he is all about her Medicare for all plan. And now, the problem is, is that he's emotional about it because he has some pre-existing conditions where he pays about a thousand dollars a month for his platinum health plan. And then he has his deductible has incurred like doubled. And so, and then he has to pay out of pocket for procedures that he needs done that, that also cost him thousands a month. Now, look, that's a bad deal. It's a really bad deal. And I hate that for him. I hate that for anyone that has to shell out thousands of dollars in medical care when that shouldn't be the case, but we're not asking the right questions. As I've said, it's not, this isn't the government's duty to save us. You know what, what the duty is, is we have to figure out why healthcare sucks so bad. Yeah. Why does it suck so bad? Why is it so expensive? What is driving the cost up? What is the cause of those things? And that's the problem is these, these proposals never actually tackle the cost they just mask it by taking money from the rich and paying for it yes and they don't actually ever ask the question like you said why is it so expensive why aren't prices going down and like everywhere else in the economy why aren't prices even in, going down even in elective healthcare, it's going way down yeah and and so why are they why aren't they going down why are they going up so far and none of these people want to actually answer that question. Their answer to that question, by the way, is price controls. That's how they're going to fix the cost being so high. Yeah. And that's not going to, we talked about price controls. We've got to rein in big pharma. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to force them to only charge a certain amount. And uh, when they find that they can't recoup the money that the FDA makes their, uh, their medication costs, they'll stop investing the money in that. They'll put their money into other things. What happens? Um, just ask the question. What happens when these companies just, they decide, well, oh, this isn't worth it anymore. Yeah. What happens then? Well, that's, what do you, what do we do? People don't realize like, it's not just medical companies that have all this money and they're putting the, the it's like investors. It's people who have money and this is just one part where they're investing their money so they can make money from it. When you take out all of the profits from investment and you make it as though they're not going to recoup any of the money, they'll shift to technology or the you know some kind of ai stuff maybe some uh, self-driving cars or, or different technologies like that they'll just shift their money over to that yeah and pull it out and go somewhere else and that's that's not good we've got to tackle the problem of why is this so expensive not just mask it by paying for it with someone else's money that doesn't fix the problem it's like it's like getting on drugs and saying that you fix the problem yeah it's, it's not it like oh i don't have any problems i'm high all the time 
No, right. that's that's what or you're I'm doing. Just drunk. Yeah, I'm no. just drunk. I'm, no, nothing. Everything's fine. Nothing now. in my life is messed up. Uh, I, uh, you want a beer? Nothing's nothing's bad. Right. You know, you're never actually tackling the problem, and that's that's what these things do is they mask it. That's what most of their proposals do. Actually, is they yeah. put band aids on something. You've got a guy like stabbing you with a knife, and their solution is to mandate that band aids only cost a dollar. You know, <laughs> that's that's their grand solution to it. Like, Not actually yeah. fixing the guy. How about you stop you? the guy from stabbing you with a knife okay right. let's let's fix that so well, not only that but it, it leads to worse conditions and as we've seen come out as it, we've seen this experiment play out it's leading to worse and worse conditions so thank you guys so much for listening today this is quite a quick episode for us we normally do a little bit longer but we really appreciate you guys being here once again sticking it through while we keep messing with the studio trying to 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 tinker with and get everything right we're almost there okay so follow us on instagram at good morning liberty follow us on twitter at good am liberty look us up on facebook it's good morning liberty and go to goodmorningliberty.us if you want to read some great articles on politics and economics and if you want your very own taxation theft t-shirt or shall not be infringed or libertarian or free snowden t-shirt then use the promo code podcast to get 20 percent off on our merch store which you can find at gmlconnect.com Great place. Go to yep. BernieLies.com and LizLies.com to see all of our articles and everything that we've posted against all of these ridiculous healthcare plans. Um, and we've actually, Nate's done a really, really good job of laying out the websites exactly how the campaign websites are laid out, but it's the complete opposite. It shows you exactly why everything they do is actually wrong. So <laughs> if you guys do all that, we'll be back again tomorrow to do this all again from the new studio. I hope you guys have a good day. Epstein didn't kill himself and a good morning, Liberty.